broader understanding of philanthropy can help us gain a broader donor database in our fundraising strategies. Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the Fundraising School, and I'm joined today by two of my faculty colleagues at the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, Dr. Kathy Bodicher and Dr. Shark Sadiq. Uh, Kathy leads our master's program and co-leads our doctoral program while teaching a range of graduate level courses in our school. And Shark leads the Muslim Philanthropy Initiative along with his scholarship research and teaching. And Kathy and Shark, thanks so much for being with us. You are the co-authors of Chapter 10, Fundraising for Advocacy and Social Change. And Shark, first of all, this whole idea that philanthropy is more than fundraising. What do we mean when we discuss that with our students and our fundraising school participants? Sure. So if you think about it, philanthropy is about trying to make the world a better or our perception of what the world should look like. And part of that is, and, and fundraising is simply a tool to achieve that outcome. But advocacy, social change, those are the big things that actually drive the reason why we have fundraising, right? People give money because there's a cause associated with that. And social change, advocacy movements are in many ways the, the, the cause, the, the, the reason why people want to sort of engage in philanthropy. And so philanthropy is far broader than just money, right? It's about time, it's treasure, but it's about voice. It's about intentionality. And I would argue as a Muslim, it's also smiling, right? So philanthropy goes much broader, but all of these things combined help us as to become better fundraisers. And Kathy, this is something you've seen as a resident historian throughout history. Philanthropy aimed at social change with people volunteering their voices even before they're raising money for their cause. Absolutely. History tells us a lot about um, institutions that we take for granted today began as some person's idea. Um, so everything has a history, has an origin story. And so many um, nonprofits, many movements, not just the two that Shark and I um, care so deeply about, but started with a vision, some individual person's moral imagination, which then coalesced around a group of people, um, maybe brewed into a formal nonprofit organization, and in order for something to gain traction, it needs resources, the cause needs resources. So all these uh, movements are intimately connected with fundraising. And there, as many people as there are, there can be social movements. As Kathy said, we all have our moral imagination, how we want to see the world a better place. And what our co-authors have done in chapter 10 of Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, the fifth edition uh, that's been released in 2022, is highlight two specific examples that can help us see the broader story, to see your nonprofit, to see your social movement. And Shark, as you lead the Muslim Philanthropy Initiative, uh, you gave us great insight into the topic of social advocacy to combat Islamophobia. What lessons can we learn from that movement as we think about fundraising for advocacy and social change? Sure, I think one of the first lessons I think is that everybody can be part of our database, right? Far too often when we as fundraisers look at our databases, we say, who's there, right? And then we try to figure out who are the wealthy people that aren't there. Mm. And I think the Islamophobia example or, or the Muslim American example suggests that people that are marginalized, people that are may not be as wealthy, have a part to play within the equation of fundraising. So, and you could, and the reality is diversity, equity, and inclusive fundraising 
far too often has to rely upon history because history provides the empirical the data that potentially empirical uh, sciences uh, empir empirical data doesn't. And Kathy is a better expert at this than I am. The two examples I'll give from, from the chapter that I think are really uh, sort of speak to this. One is uh, the story of enslaved women in uh, uh, during the times of slavery, right? These women had no uh, money or, uh, you know, income, but they had agency. And despite being slave women, they, enslaved women, they found ways in which to make the plantation a better place for children. Right? So imagine if today as fundraisers, we were to think about not just the very shiny um, sort of people that we can identify, but we think about broadly our mission, then think about all the voices and all the people that can be part of it. And then we trace back what are, what are the reasons why they're not part of that. And part of that may be their historical experiences of being part of movements, being part of nonprofits. And our job as fundraisers is to sort of lead that change within our institution to be make to make sure that our conversations, our narratives, and our engagement tools engage with those people in their terms. And so I think uh, the Islamophobia examples, if you are engaging with Muslims, you have to understand their history, which is hundreds of years long in this country. You have to understand the challenges that they face in this country today. And based on that narrative, you can engage with this group of people. Because if you just go to them and say, look, this is the shiny cause that I have, and this is why you should do it, that's a transactional approach, right? That's selling candy. But we don't sell candy. We engage with people and walk together. And so that's why the Islamophobia example is a really great one, because I think it allows us to understand a group of people that are wanting to give, wanting to be engaged, but they're looking for someone to understand who they are. And Kathy, how have you seen this play out in the social cause of combating domestic violence? I think um, what Shark just said also teaches us a lot about um, social movements in general and the, the cause that I uh, devote a lot of my personal philanthropic um, time, talent, treasure, and testimony to is um, combating domestic violence. One is the point of agency that um, as one of the pioneer women's studies scholars and Scott said, we have to make the invisible visible. And so uh, for both of us and for a number of contemporary social movements, what we're talking about is giving agency to someone who's been oppressed, silenced, who is invisible. And so in the 1970s, when the domestic violence movement emerged on the heels of women's rights movement, um, someone recognized that here, here is a community and communities of women across the world um, who had been silenced. They have no resources. They don't have agency. Um, and one of the things that is particularly interesting in this trajectory was how taboo the topic was. Mm. And I think that that crosses not only both of our topics, but um, but a lot of social movements. And so the founders of organizations had to look for ways to connect with potential donors' value systems, because what we're always talking about in fundraising is values exchanges. And sometimes that message protecting abused women uh, resonated. And sometimes, especially with institutional funders, 
it did not resonate at all. It terrified them because this is way too radical. This is extreme. This is not ever going to go anywhere. This is a private matter. And so the messaging evolved over time. And I think we're seeing that um, in a lot of DEI movements. And we see it with Islamophobia, um, with institutional funders selecting in or out based on how risky they think that this venture is. Um, so I have said before in podcasts, know your audience. Um, and I think that sometimes these movements in the fragile stages have to be chameleons almost and um, connect with donors at, as appropriate because this domestic violence is something we should all care about. It doesn't just affect the woman who's being abused or controlled or silenced, it affects all of our communities. And the same is true with Islamophobia. Somebody might say, I'm, I'm not in this, you know, I don't have a stake in this, but, but we all care, right? And, and to put some context into that comment about chameleons, our academic students, our fundraising school participants know the context of that comment is to be adaptable to the donor. Exactly. I know for some folks uh, that can have a negative connotation in our culture that you're not being sincere to yourself or the other person. In this case, it is meant to be able to adapt to your environment, adapt to the situation, meet the potential donor where they're at. And as I conclude with this question for both of you, uh, Shark, when you talked about uh, social advocacy against Islamophobia, uh, part of the context of your reply was to make sure we're being inclusive across our donor database and not leave people out if they don't look like me or I think they might not think like me, uh, folks who, who've been marginalized in our country for, for many, many decades, centuries, years. Um, what about uh, just kind of translating that to the broader donor database for somebody who is not Muslim but still cares about fighting against Islamophobia? How does advocacy for social change translate into fundraising in that regard. Absolutely. So, you know, as Kathy said, people care about the world being a better place, right? So you may not be Muslim, but you may you still don't America want America to be a bigoted and racist place because that impacts my children going to school. And so far too often when I go to Muslim organizations that are fighting Islamophobia, one of the things that we are part of our TFRS trainings, one of the things I point to them is that you're not looking at people that believe in civil rights, that believe to, in fighting against bigotry in this country. And what is your narrative to them? Because if you're just going to go and say Islamophobia is a Muslim problem, right? You're only going to engage Muslim donors. But if you say Islamophobia is an American civil rights problem, you're suddenly engaging a broader database. Now you have to have different strategies. And once you put that into your constituency circle based on your case for support, then your constituency circle is now expanded. Then you have to create different narratives to engage with those different people. But, but that's one of the things I think we have to think about the problem in terms of a broader case for support. And Kathy, similarly, if I have not experienced domestic violence personally or in my household, there are people who will attend the march, attend the demonstration, organize to advocate for changes in law and in, in public policy. And all of those are important in and of themselves. And if that's what people do, that's philanthropy. However, how can that potentially translate into new donors, into fundraising planning? I think um, with a lot of the movements that we not just the two that we're talking about today, um, but a lot of movements involve the combination of service delivery of some type, as well as this cultural shift in education that we aspire to. 
And so there's a place for donors um, across that spectrum. And I think that's, um, that's a message that people can come away with. So for example, with domestic violence, the women who, who founded the movement realized that they had to create safe places. And so the shelter system emerged along with advocacy really in lockstep. And so we have um, in the organizations that I represent personally, we have donors who really want to take care of the physical place because what they just can't fathom is someone being physically, mentally, spiritually unsafe in their own home. And so taking care of the place resonates with them. And then other people who really want to advocate for, as you say, sometimes laws have to be changed and that's part of these movements. Um, some people really wanna bring their voice and go talk in, to school groups or to other constituencies to build coalitions and build future donors that way. So I think if we think of social justice as those, at least those two components, um, service and voice, then, then everyone finds something that resonates with them potentially. And, and we know from the research that folks who volunteer are more likely to become donors to our nonprofit organization, that volunteering can include uh, various activities associated with social advocacy. And then of course, there are those ripple effects when, when the demonstration reaches the news, when the public policy movement reaches the news. Well, those folks have just done you a favor. They've exposed our neighbors to this story and that can help us meet new potential donors as well. Again, emphasizing that the social advocacy in and of itself is uniquely important and influential and a strong form of philanthropy. And one thing about achieving excellence for fundraising, edition number five, is that these themes are not just contained to chapter 10, as awesome as chapter 10 is, thanks to my two colleagues. These themes are infused through every single chapter, all 39 chapters, all of the authors and co-authors were instructed to include themes associated with leading through a crisis, COVID-19, and those effects, which you guys touch on in your chapter as well, very directly, as well as incorporating themes of social justice through each and every chapter. That's a big distinction in this fifth edition, which is available on our website, along with information about the Fundraising School's public courses, which are in person across the United States, more and more cities all the time, but still robustly online, both in recorded versions and live versions, which of course are easily accessible around the world, as is our custom training. We can still get on a plane and travel across anywhere around the world, as my colleague Dr. Sadiq does so well and so often. We can also join you online with our custom training, customized and tailored just for you. We have our quarterly webinars and these weekly podcasts, and of course, Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, edition number five, all on our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu. And look across the top toolbar, you'll see professional de development. That's where you will find the fundraising school. Also on that website, you're gonna find information about our master's degree and about our doctoral degrees. And these are the types of conversations we have in our academic classrooms that help strengthen your leadership in the philanthropic sector. Philanthropy.iupui.edu. Our producers today are Mike Anthony and Jennifer Boffman. I'm so grateful for my colleagues, Dr. Sharik Sadiq and Dr. Kathy Bodicher. I'm Bill Stanjakevich, and now you are now more fully informed on this first day from the Fundraising School. Mm -hmm.